Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER. I'm a feminist, but during lockdown, my partner, who is a lady, and I uh, spent a lot more time together, more than we have done at any point in our relationship. And it'd be fair to say that we both have different coping mechanisms. Hers is to make lists. For me to complete and my way of coping <laughs> has been to zone out her voice when she's talking to me. Now, I reckon I've been zoning out at least, I think I've taken about 20% of what she says at any given time. Did you book the plumber? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even remember you saying that. All I'm saying is that when it comes to the mental load, I am almost entirely absent. Is that, that's bad, wow. isn't it? I can't even believe I'm even admitting that. In my relationship, this we've had a deep conversation about this, Tom, and he says, um, "I don't remember any of it." I'm like, "Does he is he replaced by a different Black Mirror husband every Monday morning?" I don't know because we can have had several conversations about something, and he swears he's never heard about it before. And I'm like, "But remember when?" And he's like, "I might need to be reminded." And I'm like, "I don't know. I don't know why I bother sometimes." So I'm I think I'm your partner in this. Oh yeah, I think you're the Tom of the relationship if you don't mind me saying. But Tom does get stuff done. I mean, I get stuff oh, yeah. done, but just the things that she asks me to do, none of that will ever get done. That's what I find. Tom, <laughs> Tom gets a lot done. Tom's an achiever. Yeah. But if I put it on the to-do list, he's got a blind spot for it. Not always. Hashtag not always. Hashtag not all Tom's, not all times. Yeah. But Hashtag always unknown. for me. It's yeah. not unknown. All right, I'll do one. I'm a feminist, but... I realised the other day that I fancy Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. I can't see what I can't see the problem. <laughs> Why did she pass him over? He's a honey. He's a hunky honey. 
No one looks like Gaston. Gaston. No one looks like Gaston. It's Gaston the knob end. Um, yeah. In, in, yeah. in Beauty he's, and Beast. He's hot. He's hot. Now, he's a bit braggadocious, but I find that attractive. A man in who's just a bit In the cartoon or in the movie? Oh, I haven't seen the movie. The animated Gaston. Oh, you're talking about Gaston in a cartoon? Yeah. Oh, right. Doing... I don't. I don't. Because I was slightly concerned when you, I thought you were talking about the movie. It was that, that, that guy that likes to sing with his arms fixed to I his sides. I haven't seen the live action. But I oh. would very much consider a one night stand with the animated character. Great. If that were offered to me. <laughs> I'm a feminist. And I believe in open discourse with other people, particularly other women, even women might not agree. Blah, blah, blah. Good to get out of your echo chamber. And on occasion, it can help you reevaluate the way you approach or think about a particular subject. But Julie Birchill needs to shut the fuck up now. Okay? <laughs> shut up, Julie Birchill. Just shut up. Oh, that I, I have to agree with that. And you know... I am not someone who slags people off. I don't, you won't hear me ever, 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 ever. I sometimes do an I'm a feminist spot about Pretty Patel. It ends in me not being <laughs> sisterly in a public clue. And I rarely, you rarely hear me saying anything negative about anyone because I think there's enough people doing that on the internet and calling people out and stuff like that. And people hear it from 10,000 people and they don't need to hear it from me. But I will join you in your saying that Julie Birchill, time for some shh. Sh- Shush hush, time. Hush. And, and no. stop talking for, I don't know, ever? Yeah. Okay, fine. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Bye-bye, Some Julie. of that on the weekend was very unpleasant. Very, Bye-bye. very unpleasant. I'm a feminist, but I am jealous of all women with shiny hair that swooshes, including Pretty Patel. She's shiny. got shiny hair that swooshes. But what's... What, your hair's shiny. It doesn't swoosh. I don't have what? that lustrous... Ooh, L'Oreal advert hair. No, I don't. I don't. I don't have that looks. Right. That's what I, I keep mean, it quite. It's it's chic when it's a bit short. Can't be, and I need to be very clear about this, Jen. It cannot be cut on or above the chin or I look like a squirrel blowing up a balloon. Okay, fine. I hear what you're saying. <laughs> I've got big cheeks and I look like such a moon face. Oh, my God. But, but you've got great cheekbones. No, I, you I do, do that, have look, good cheekbones. Look at that. Yeah. But and actually... But, I can look like such a moon face though. So where I need it cut to make it look chic is just below the jawline. So I don't get that moon face look, but I still get a bit like, oh, I could be Parisian. Love it. It's a great I look. love it. Um, I love that look. Do you know the best haircut I've ever had? It's when I shaved it off last year. I absolutely loved being bald. Just loved it. You suit short. You've got that pixie face that can do really short hair and I'm so jealous of you as well. That's a that's a double jealousy. The the swishy shiny, yeah, and the the face that could take the short crop. Want oh. it all? I want it all. I want it now. I want it all on alternate days. Doesn't work for anybody like that. Life is life. What are you going to do? Can't buy that. All right, here's mine. I I'm a feminist, but when I'm on a Zoom call, mm. right? Yeah, all I'm really focusing on is yeah. not anyone saying. Sorry, yeah. Deborah. Okay, so far haven't actually listened to anything you've said. I'm actually focusing on my neck. Why has my neck aged faster than my face? Oh, Can don't. you Botox necks? Why does Jane Fonda's neck look better than mine? Why do I give so much of a shit about my neck? I, 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 it's, it's a new thing, but I have suddenly... Mm. Do you remember Ali McBeal? Yes. 
And well. there was the guy, it was a, one of the lawyers, he was obsessed with the, the judge who had the, the wattle. Okay? Oh, yes. Fine. Okay. So now I'm getting one of those, right? Okay. You are um, not, but okay. Okay. No, I totally am, right? For the purposes I, I, of this paranoid bit, I will go along with it, but you okay, absolutely fine. are not. And um, just to let you know that in the Zoom uh, settings, I have adjusted it so that I am very much soft focus and I... I've done that. Look, if you look at my palms, no lines. Okay, oh, so that's yeah. how we know. I've actually, with this, you can't see the... Look at that! Right? Oh, my God, you're pulling the skin down. No, it's, it, I, don't, I don't want to get into it, Deborah. I want you to accept that I, I am neurotic about my neck. I'm neurotic about my neck, too, because it just... It suddenly just got... It's just bumpy or something. It's just looser or bumpier. I don't know. It's It's, it's, it's not doing its job. Okay. No. I, 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 okay, it's doing its job. It's holding my head up. But the, the, the skin, what is it doing? It's sort of doing this weird bunchy up thing. I never really thought about any kind of, oh, what, you know, things on my face or Botox or anything like that. But with my neck, I'm like, can you inject Botox into your neck? And if you can, I'm up for it. Look, I'm a feminist, but I was reading the other day that if you provoke the collagen in your face, it fights back. And this is true. Mean? So like microneedling and stuff. Oh, so, I thought you mean you're like, oh, you look like a prick, mate. Oh, well, yeah, I'll show you. <laughs> That's uh, exactly just, what you're doing and it stands up and fights. So if you want to right. provoke okay. the collagen in your neck, you basically pick a fight with the collagen in your neck and then it comes out and fights back and repairs and restores itself. But you've got to provoke it. You've got to go down and go, you're shit, you are. And then the collagen will come up like an army and go, no, we're not. You're, right. you're lazy. All you're doing is lying around. You're not even producing yourself anymore. You're not restoring yourself. I'll show you. I'll show you. So, And I thought, oh, my God, your collagen is like the suffragettes. Wow. And the microneedling is, is like the patriarchy. Okay. You've really is, taken it. Yeah. That's what's happening. That's next level, so, isn't it? So microneedling your face, which is done in something called the million dollar facial, which is not a million dollars. I think it's like a hundred pounds or something, but they call it million dollar facial. They microneedle. So they stick like little tiny needles and that provokes your feminism. So that's the patriarchy, the microneedling. And then your collagen is the suffragette force going, what do we want? We want the vote. When do we want it now? Otherwise we'll blow stuff up. And that is how you get... I, I mean, this is terrible, but a y- younger looking neck. I don't think this, I mean, I'm a feminist, but this is a really terrible metaphor. That is a metaphor. terrible, but I am terrible relieved. Metaphor, but it's I'm a terrible metaphor, but I am relieved that it's microneedling and not just sort of some random person punching me in the throat. So that, I feel like that's better than what I was anticipating. Um, although sticking needles in my neck, I don't know. There's a bit of me, if I'm honest, that just wants to moan about it until the day I die. I actually realised... I really enjoy moaning. So, actually, I mean, quite like, honestly, you look the same age as when I met you. You don't seem because to have of aged the at all. Zoom filter. I can't, I can't. I can't. I can't express how good this Zoom filter. Well, the answer is never leave the house again because whatever you filter you've got on, you look phenomenal. Yeah. Well, the disappointment you will have when you see me for reals. I don't know. You know, I can see other people are beautiful though. I can see elderly women are stunningly beautiful with crepey, soft skin and beautiful lines on their face that just tell stories. And they do sparkle and they do radiate glorious things. But we've just all been seduced that we ourselves must be eternally youthful, um, which is kind of creepy to be eternally youthful. It is actually. It is quite creepy. And also I look back at me at 21 and I think, oh God, I don't want to look like that. 
For a start, pluck your eyebrows, Jen Brister at 21. You've got one eyebrow. Why, why, well, why again, would you think Frida that a Kahlo monobra- had one eyebrow and she was Listen, hard as fuck? Frida Kahlo rocked it. Jen Brister, not so much. Just both even the middle Spanish bit. Spanish women. Why did nobody Spanish tell women? me? Just the little bit. Just a little bit. It took a, a Polish woman in a waxing salon to say, are we doing your chin? And I thought, I've got to really do something. Uh, this is... Because I'd actually gone for a bikini line. I, I, I hadn't even taken my trousers off at that point. I thought, well, wait till you see below the waist if you think the chin hair is bad, love. Um, anyway, I've, I've let oh, that Do you go. know, I've resensitized to waxing I because I was so good at waxing. The bikini wax for me, I actually enjoyed it. It sort of made me feel alive. It was the kind of pain that was just a bit of a thrill. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And I feel nothing now. I'm, I'm dead, dead down Well, there. I did. I did feel nothing. I felt a bit of a tingly thrill. Not not sexual. I'm not implying I was getting off on it, but just like a bit of a. Oh, I'm great awake. If you were, I wish I oh, could get off on that. Ooh, I don't hello. think it would be great. I think it feels wrong to a waxer to be secretly getting sexy feels, uh, yeah. isn't it? Okay. That's sure, sure. Consensual. But I I do my own, so it, I'll be able to fit in. It'd be like I'm waxing and a wank at the same time. And and you know when you when you <laughs> listen, you're a you busy woman. Have, you've got twins. If you well, need, I'm busy exactly. You and I can't fit both in. Double. And I'm thinking to myself, do you know what? I don't need to fit both in. I can just have a wax and I fit the wank in at the same time. Actually, <laughs> do you know what? I haven't had one for a while. I'm going to give it a whirl. I'll let you know how it goes. I haven't had one what for a while. <laughs> <laughs> a w- wax. Thank uh, you. So that's okay. Yeah. Um, from a variety of bedrooms and kitchens via Zoom, the Spontaneity Shop presents the Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Jen Brister, and a very special guest, Dr. Rolla Holum, talking about a can-do attitude. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists, our hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis-White, with me is Jen Brister, and we're talking about a can-do attitude. Jen Brister, how yeah. are you? Oh. How can-do are you feeling with twin boys, five years old, are they, or six? They're six now. Six years old, at the end of a very, very long lockdown. How can-do are you feeling right now? I couldn't be less can-do if... if- <laughs> If I was doing the can, can, can't do, I can't do. I, 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 you just can't I couldn't do. do at the beginning of lockdown. I can do less now. I, 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 <laughs> I have, feel like you I, must be more resilient, more capable, better at banana bread or margaritas or controlling two <laughs> six-year-old boys and making listen, them motivated to learn. The only thing I got out of lockdown was a drink problem. I, I literally, I've learned nothing. I haven't grown. There's nothing uh-uh. about my personality that is better. If anything, people have said to me outright, Jen, uh, I know it's been a year and a half that I haven't seen you, but I could easily go another 18 months. I, I, I haven't <laughs> developed uh, 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 as a person. So can do? Absolutely not. I, I, I'm bringing nothing to this uh, uh, podcast. I apologise now. I'm going to say that up front. You're bringing nothing to the table. Nothing, okay. absolutely. Certainly right. no positivity, optimism or can-do attitude. I, Listen, God, I hope Rolla come, can bring it. You've come to the right place because later on we have a guest who is the founder of Can Do. That's an organisation. So if you're needing a little bit of get up and go, a little bit of can, a little bit of this, we got this, a little bit of the Yas Queen, a little bit of... <laughs> a a, a yeah, little yeah. bit of... Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Listen, mm-hmm. if I could get, I would have appreciated some aha uh-huh or an oh, yeah, like at any point. There's at been a point. lot of, uh, I don't know, can't be asked. 
That is a lot of that. So I'm, See, I'm here. I'm here to receive it. That's if I'm, I'm going to bring Roller on as the founder sure. of Can Do, should I bring you, Jen Brister, on as the founder of Can't Be Asked? It's not even can't be asked, Deborah. It's I just can't do. I can't. can't. What I've learned in a crisis is that nobody oh. needs me. Nobody wants me. I, I'm superfluous. Listen, when Armageddon finally happens, I'll be the first to go. People will be stepping over me going, what, what was the point of her? I mean, yeah, she did a bit of stand up, but I don't even remember one of her jokes. They'll be walking over me to get to wherever they need to get to to survive. Honestly, I don't I, believe I, that, there's no Brister. need for me. No need. I, d- I don't believe that. I believe that you take up valuable space on this earth and the oxygen you breathe in comes back out to us again <laughs> right. in the form of quality observations and incredibly funny gag. Like, reap now, you're being hilarious. So, you know, you're entertaining people in a pandemic. Basically, what I'm saying is you are the Andrews sisters in the Second World War. You're entertaining <laughs> you the know? troops. Oh, wow. You're okay. a one-woman Andrews sisters plus a little bit of Bob Hope. If Bob Hope... No, this doesn't maybe, sound maybe, right. Maybe that Bob doesn't Hope sound right. Bob Hope shanked all of the Andrews sisters. The, the <laughs> he love, probably did. The love, the love I, yeah, I expect. The love children. I don't know how yeah. many Andrews sisters were there and were they really sisters? I don't think they were. I think I, it was named I, after a fizzy drink. I don't think they were sisters. And also, I'm not sure how I feel about being compared to the misogynist that was Bob Hope. However, listen. Different time. certainly <laughs> did. Different. I'm a feminist, but it was I'm a, a feminist, time. but it was Bob Hope. At least time. his name Let's was Hope. Hope. At least his he name did. was Hope. He brought oh. hope to the troops. Oh, he did. He did. Well, listen. A little bit of hope. To all the troops bob. listening. Yeah. A little uh, bit of hope. That's it. I'll, I'll be trying, I'll be doing a little bobbing and a little bit of hoping. And let's see, by the end of this podcast, Deborah, anything is, po- there's no hope for me, actually. I'm so sorry. I don't know what I was talking there's about. There's no bob hope for you. I don't believe that, Jen. I know you to be. Well, we shall um, see. Look, you said, if anything else, if nothing else, you're raising the next generation of men. And that oh, that's a big hope. responsibility. That is a big you're responsibility. You're raising two men. Two. Yeah. You're going to put two whole grown men into the world. And I believe you're instilling them with proper feminist uh, values. Oh, well, I certainly am. I'm certainly telling them that they can't do anything because girls can do it better. And I feel like that's actually <laughs> helping. I don't think that's the message. <laughs> I don't think that's the full message. I think you Isn't got- it? Oh, for God's sake. There's so many mixed messages, Deborah. You're very funny on Instagram and Twitter about your sons, though. You're very, very funny because you've been homeschooling them and you've certainly had to be can-do about homeschooling. But some of the tweets have been hysterically funny about the interactions you've had with them. I, Basically, yeah. they just say bum, bum, bum when you ask them. I mean, literally, that's all. <laughs> I, I mean, that's all they seem to do. First of all, they talk about their bums. And then the other day, they're in the bath, they were sniffing each other's bums. And I, I thought, I don't know if I should stop them. It's just that they're just obsessed <laughs> with their bottoms and their their winks. I, I mean, I, I think they'll get past it. But, and I've learned that you don't sort of go, oh, listen, that's enough wink talk, because then that's, that is literally the catalyst for an avalanche of, touch it, man. Touch it! That's inappropriate. Um, I don't even know why. Where that? Listen, look. If they're not touching it, they want you to touch it, or they're trying to put it in your ear. I don't. Know. Is that normal? I'm going to say. I'm going <laughs> yeah. to say right now. Yeah. That the fact that you are getting through this period because you know they all do grow out of it. No one's 33 at dinner on a classy date in a nice restaurant going touch my wink. Well. <laughs> They're not. This is what my friend was saying. Oh, he won't sit at the the table. He doesn't use a fork. 
he just wants to use a spoon and then put it with his hands. And I'm like, when he's on his first date, they all, this is what I learned. When I was a nanny, I used to be horrified by some behavior of some children. Not, not mine, who were always perfectly behaved. Not. But of course. They, of course. They it's like were, Mary Poppins in the corner. They, one of my nanny children once said to me, you're better than Mary Poppins. And that was the highest accolade. And she was magic. Yeah. Highest possible accolade. But some of the kids I used to see, like, I was like, oh my God. But they all now, because they're grown ups, none of them went on their first date and demanded spaghetti hoops from a tin that they then tipped on the And floor. then put that, their penis in her ear. Okay, fine. None I mean, of them did that. They're all now functional people. Peer pressure does it. They don't to their parents. Peer pressure. Other kids going, who are you doing that for? Is yeah. the very thing that will make them go, oh, I'm never doing that again. Um, sure. You, At least I'll wait till I get home. Yeah. I'm not saying uh, tell your children to be susceptible to peer pressure, but I am saying a certain amount of other kids going, no. Is the oh, only thing that will stop them. That's already happened. I mean, some of it, I'm sure, will be positive. It's already been slightly negative. I've got one of them that loved wearing a tutu. His favourite colour is pink. That has very quickly become green since school started. Oh, and, uh, I'm sad about him in a tutu that. for love and money. And I, I feel sad about it. In fact, he saw a photograph of himself last year, just last year, not even that long ago, in a tutu. And he said, never show anyone. That, that makes me sad. And that's, that that's, made me sad. That made me very that's sad. That's the wrong kind of peer pressure because he was enjoying being in something bright and having fun and being playful. He just playful. loves colourful things. Yeah, and he loves dressing up. And it made me made me sad. So, you know, I'm not saying I'm going to burn the school is down. Still but... so... Oh, I thought that was sort of moms. a bit done. I know. I thought children not. were still... But now sort of much more fluid. They're so not fluid at six. I mean, maybe that changes. But at six, they're just like, yeah, boys, boys, are, boys are good and girls are rubbish. That's all I get for my boys. And they have two well. mothers. So we're failing somewhere along the line. Hello, Guilty Feminists. Good news. We are back live and in the theatre. We were at King's Place in London on the 22nd of June at 7.30pm. That's meant to be the day after we've fully come out of lockdown. We'll see about that now. We don't know, but we'll definitely be there one way or the other. And then we'll also be back at King's Place on the 12th of July. Both of those shows are at 7.30pm and you can come and be in the live audience or watch from home in the live feed. Go to kingsplace.co.uk for tickets or follow the link in the show notes. There's a new Big Speeches workshop with Jessica Regan. Big Speeches uses the tools of actor training and the performer audience relationship to increase your confidence, up your presentation game and access the charisma you possess to take your space in any room. All great feminist things. It's delivered over Zoom with Jess and fellow RADA alumni Cyrus Lowe helping to facilitate. These sessions are on 26th of June. That's a Saturday at 10.30am. Sunday the 27th of June at 3pm. Saturday the 24th of July at 10.30am and Sunday the 25th of July at 3pm. That's UK time, but you could join from anywhere in the world. Go to guiltyfeminist.com slash big speeches to get tickets. Our guest today is a doctor, humanitarian and human rights campaigner. Saving children's lives on the front line. She is the first Syrian TED Fellow and founder of Can Do, a humanitarian organisation supporting frontline health workers to save lives in their war-devastated communities. She has helped build seven hospitals in Syria, including the first ever crowdfunded hospital, together reaching over three million people. Please welcome Dr. Rola Hollam. Woo! 
Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, Rhoda, it is just an unbelievable privilege and pleasure. Uh, you've heard a little bit from me and Jen. Um, essentially, we're <laughs> too not much, dudes. actually. Too, I've been giggling too much, in the background. Too much from too. Yeah, just well, I, I can't My even stand up show. This is perfect. You Can have, we do this again. You've you've <laughs> you've heard our can't do attitudes. You know too much about how much we wax. You're probably usually on very serious shows like Women's Hour, and I apologise. In, a, in I apologise for the show, um, because I, I'm sure you're norm, you're you're used to being in serious and important spaces because you're a serious important person. Um, so I'm delighted to see you've been Not laughing. Really. It's very, it's very intimidated going through um, all the things that you've done and, and you're such a, um, an incredible human. And then just to come on and just talk about, well, what we talk about. the things that I, that I do. And- <laughs> Absolutely unbelievable what, uh, the, the work that you do. Thank you. It's true. It's actually unbelievable. So tell us a little bit about Can Do and how you started it. So the name came very much, as you said, from just let's have a can-do attitude. I absolutely fundamentally believe that all of us have the power to to create positive change in the world. And so I wanted to try and somehow embody that and create a vehicle for people to be able to feel like they really can can do and they can make a difference. Um, So can-do was born basically from the last 10 years of me being a humanitarian in Syria. I am Syrian and I never thought that Syria would explode into a million zillion pieces um, and and to have the horrific war that we've had. And so I kind of threw myself into the humanitarian work. Um, As a doctor, I was sort of doing medical missions from London, where I'm based, to Syria and helping to build hospitals and um, just dealing with the absolute shit show that we had, basically. And... Um, and through this experience, I just had a huge discovery, which is that people survive in crisis because of the remarkable work of the people who are in crisis themselves. You know, people survive because of the local doctors, nurses and aid workers who are from the heart of the affected community. They're the ones who dare to work where others, you know, can't or won't. Um, whereas I feel like until then, like so many people, we kind of think that it's like the UN and the Save the Children's and it's all of those big international NGOs that are, you know, flying around to these war zones and saving lives. And though they do do good work, actually, when you are in the midst of war and and the bombs are falling, it's actually the people themselves who are really, they're helping themselves. Um, But what I realized with shock and horror was that they really weren't getting the support that they needed. They weren't getting the resources that they needed. They weren't getting the recognition that they needed. And I found myself in a situation far too many times where, you know, a bomb would fall on a school full of children and they would come to my hospital and I wouldn't have the basic tools and equipment that I needed, even though I had the experience and the expertise to deal with those injuries. And I thought, screw this. We've got to change this. We've got to do better. We can do better. Um, So let's direct resources directly to the frontline healthcare workers. Let's get resources directly to frontline aid workers um, so that they can carry on doing their life-saving work. And so that's what we've been doing for the last five years. Um, And we've 
through that, um, worked with seven local NGOs, um, seven Syrian partners, and helped reach about a million people there. So um, with 17 different health projects. So not bad. Good That's start. Great. Plenty, plenty more to do. Wow. I'm so unbelievably impressed by what you've been doing. You're a doctor yourself. And how long have you lived in London for? Really? For 20 years. Oh, wow. And just on that impressed bit with being a doctor, I, um, so that I don't get the like stunned reaction that often happens when you tell people you're a doctor or a humanitarian, I have an alter ego of telling people I'm a cage dancer. Um, and, <laughs> and it's, and it works a treat, you know, because, because it's, it's brilliant because what it does is it triages people, right? Like about 90% of people go, oh, okay. And scuttle off because they don't know what to do with that. And then I'm left with like 10% of people who go, oh, like what kind of cage and what kind of dancing? Or they kind of clock my BS a million miles away and sort of say, yeah, and I weave magic carpets. And then we have a lot of banter and good conversation because a lot of people do get intimidated and there's no need for it. Wow. I think, I think, a- it's, I think it's not just uh, the doctor. Uh, I'm just going to put it out there. I think it's the kind of work that you have been doing and it's not just the work of a doctor. It's just logistics of being on the ground uh, during a civil war and uh, dealing not just with people who have been injured and people that are dying, but to not have the equipment in order to save, particularly, I think, obviously, with the lives of anyone, but particularly children, that must have been uh, certainly, I think, I I know now, I'm telling you for a fact, it's not something I could do. Um, what I want to know is how do you cope with seeing that level of you know misery and particularly when there's children involved, how do you deal with that uh, mm. and, and remain a, a functioning human being and also can do your job properly. I just, I can't fathom it. Mm. Yeah, that's been, I think, one of my biggest learnings on this journey. It's, um, you know, and like, like, like with so many things, you learn the hard way, you know, you learn after you burn out and, um, you know, and you, and you, you work yourself to the bones and then you, you kind of take a few wrong turns and you find yourself, you know, stressed out and insomniac, exhausted. And then you kind of go, oh, I, I need to, I need to deal with this better. And so, um, really it's about taking a holistic healthcare approach to yourself. You know, it's like, it's looking after yourself, body, mind, and soul. Um, I started meditating. I'm a daily meditator. And if you both don't meditate, I cannot recommend it highly enough. Honestly, I think it's just one of the most phenomenal tools that we have to use that really helps. It's been scientifically proven to reduce anxiety, depression, and so many other things. And yeah, I swear by it. So I think meditation has definitely been something that I've uh, found as a, as a well-being tool and, um, and a spiritual tool. I've definitely had to make friends with crying, um, and have really learned how to deal with emotions. I think the first few years, I just, my way of coping was to just work. I was like, you know, I was working full-time in the NHS and then the Syria humanitarian work was my second full-time job. And literally every evening I was on a, on a call Skype back then before Zoom, remember those days, you know, trying to build hospitals and get aid there. And, you know, that wasn't very sustainable, but what I didn't realize until several years later was that I had 
not allowed my emotions. I hadn't allowed the grief because I had thrown myself into the action. It was like all the stuff had built up. And suddenly a few years later, it all just came out in a massive grief avalanche. So I feel like one of the biggest learnings is how to allow your emotions, give them space, accept them. And and then very importantly, how do you then transform them? So, you know, I hear so many activists, especially women activists say like, we need to be angry. Let's get angry. Let's be more angry. And like, I get it because I've spent years being angry and I can obviously still get angry, but that's just part of the process. Like you have to allow that anger, but you then have to transform it into love, into compassion and lead from that place because you can't, you know, Einstein said you can't solve problems from the same thinking that created the problems, right? So you you can't solve violence with anger, right? You can't, you, we're not going to create peace being, having internal conflicts within ourselves. We're not going to, you know, um, fight the prejudice, racism, sexism, any ism that you want when you're judgmental yourself. So it's really about yeah, feeling those emotions, transforming them into something positive and, you know, get therapy. <laughs> therapy <Okay>. works. <laughs> so therapy and meditation is really how you cope with it. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Can you tell us about uh, Syria's schools under attack? the Panorama documentary um, and mm -hmm. your part in that and, and about the situation with serious schools at the moment of school children. Sure. Jen, just a little bit on just back to what you were saying about Syria being a civil war. Like I just want to say it just a minute about that before we go into the documentary, because For I sure. feel like one of the biggest things that has done the Syrian people a disfavor is the fact that it has been called a civil war. Right. Whereas what it actually really is, is a dictatorial murderous regime that has been attacking and killing its civilians and destroying our country and destroying our infrastructure. So this is not half the population that's been trying to kill the other half. This was, you know, a regime that mounted a bloody crackdown against a peaceful uprising and against a revolution. And, and you know, so I call it a war on civilians because that's really what it has been. You know, in these last 10 years, they have been bombing schools, have been bombing hospitals, attacking marketplaces and, and, you know, attacking children, as you said. So in 2013, to your point, Deborah, I was on one of my medical missions and I had a BBC Panorama crew who was with me. And we actually filmed the first BBC documentary, which was called Saving Serious Children. Mm -hmm. And 
during that time, we, we, we witnessed a war crime. A schoolyard full of children was bombed with a napalm-like bomb. Oh, and, um, and we had dozens of severely burnt children who came into my hospital. Um, and um, oh, I haven't talked about this for a while. <sighs> Funny, I've, to, I've said it so many times that it still gets me. So we had dozens of these severely burnt children who came to our hospital. Some, some of them died instantly. Some of them died on the way to the hospital and some of them died, you know, a few days and a few weeks later and some, and some survived. And so the, the Serious Schools Under Attack documentary that we just did was a follow-up documentary seven years on to tell the stories of the survivors and the families of the victims, for them to talk about how that's affected their lives um, in, you know, good, bad and ugly ways. Um, but also to really frame the conversation around the fact that fucking schools are being bombed. Like over a thousand schools have been bombed in Syria in the last 10 years. Um, it just, I mean, I shouldn't be saying these words, right? Like just a thousand schools. I yeah, mean, no, it's insane. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. And what doesn't make sense is that there isn't an international uh, outrage um, led by countries that you'd expect, like yes, Britain, like the US. Yes. Um, uh, well, someone's like still providing Germany. the arms, uh, let's be honest. Someone's still providing the arms because oh, it's absolutely. been going on for 10 years. So I think the biggest uh, supporter from that point of view has been Russia, and Iran, and not just providing arms, they have been, they are physically in the country. They now have a Mediterranean base. That was the whole reason for Putin getting involved in this. So they now have their Mediterranean base off the coast of Syria um, and actually been using and trialing their own military on us. And so have very much got blood on their hands and have absolutely committed so many of these war crimes and crimes against humanity in terms of attacks of, of schools and attacks on hospitals. And, and there's plenty of evidence of, of their involvement in that. I find it just bizarre when we have, as a nation, not had any problems stepping into other, uh, <laughs> when we've decided that there's oil involved or there's something that's going to benefit our country that we've stepped in and, and, and often created a war that needn't have happened and then walked away from it. But mm -hmm. when we actually see war crimes being committed in a country that nobody is willing uh, to take that step. And I suppose it makes sense if Russia is there and is involved and Iran are involved, that that is, that is probably the start of a nuclear war. Um, perhaps. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean it I doesn't have to be right, but it, it, I think it just goes to show that the paralysis of the United Nations you know, that's that's a problem because, you know, that's meant to be our international body of peace and security, isn't it? That like that's meant to be the organization that was created to supposedly deal with these very things. Um, but because you've got, you know, the five states on the Security Council and then any one of them vetoes it. And of course, Russia's involved and therefore it vetoes a lot of action. But you're absolutely right. There hasn't been um you know, we've had words, obviously there's been severe condemnation, but, you know, no one needs words when bombs are falling on you, you need fucking action. You know, you need people who say, actually, you know, if you do do that, there are going to be repercussions because, you know, here's the thing, schools and hospitals 
are protected by the Geneva Conventions, right? These are conventions that are there for our collective protection. And when they break for one, they break for all. Um, and so the fact that hundreds of our hospitals have been bombed and, and thousands of our, of our schools have been bombed presents a danger to hospitals and schools everywhere, in my humble opinion, because that is all of us basically saying, yeah, you know what? Go ahead. You can bomb, you can bomb doctors and nurses and, 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 and children patients. in school and patients children. and teachers. Like, you know, that's okay. Yeah, fine carry on. That's a really dangerous precedent for all of us. And so, you know, um, yeah. What do you think the world can do to stop Assad? Like, when will this end? Like, it's a decade old, this this attack on the Syrian people mm. and, you know, Syria being devastated. And, you know, I live with a Syrian man. My husband and I live with a Syrian mm. man who's like family to us. And well, he is family to us. And I could feel sometimes that radiating off him, the sort of, you know, that Damascus was the oldest inhabited city of the world in the world. Aleppo was the second oldest inhabited city in the world. And you, you know, Steve would say, well, the one thing you knew is that mm-hmm. they were gonna outlive you because it's the oldest inhabited city in the world. It's a stunningly mm-hmm. beautiful city, stunningly beautiful architecture. That will always be there. That was there long mm-hmm. before you were born, and it will be there long after. And now it's like in pieces. How can us mm-hmm. A, how can Assad do this to this beautiful ancient? extraordinary country and its people how how can he keep doing it but b how can he be stopped Mm. well i tell you what we're doing specifically about the school attacks um so we'll go to something specific before we we go macro because um i feel like it's you know i think part of the coping gen is about figuring out what you can do right like you know i always remember the serenity prayer about you know having the grace to accept with serenity that which you cannot control and the courage to change that which you can and the wisdom to know the difference so so when it comes to the school attacks we've we launched a campaign called save serious schools and what we are planning to do is protect Schools, or we might not be able to stop the bombs, but we can, what we can do is install an early warning system into the high risk schools that are at high risk of aerial bombardment from warplanes. This early warning system will give participating schools up to an eight minute of a warning before a potential strike. And what we hope that will do is at least prevent the bombs from falling on children's heads by either they make it to a basement or or they evacuate the school. The trauma these children must be going through. I know. Can you imagine? Like, these are the extents that we've been talking about, you know, like we've been talking recently, haven't we, about how will, you know, how does homeschooling or even the fact that children have to wear masks at at school, how is that going to affect their development? I mean, Imagine if like you actually literally imagine if you're a parent, actually, that your choice was, do I send my child to school where they may get bombed um, or be deeply traumatized watching their schoolmates getting bombed? Or do I keep them at home thinking that they may be safe, but they will then be illiterate and have no future? You know, these are the impossible choices or be bombed at home. Absolutely. Because nowhere is safe. Right. You know, and these are the impossible choices that parents are having to make. And then we wonder why people get on rickety boats to try and get to Europe, because that's the hellhole that they have there. You know, so what we're hoping to do is with this early warning system is implement it into 150 high risk schools. 
um, so that we can t- help to protect 60,000 children. So that's our Save Serious Schools campaign, um, which we're doing. Can I just say, why is it eight minutes? Is that the maximum you type? That, that, it's that you it's can... a range. It will give them a warning between three to 11 minutes. So it averages around eight minutes that they will get that warning before a potential and strike. And no longer, you can't, you can't detect a bomb any earlier than that, basically. So, so yeah, exactly. So it's like, that's why like up to 11 minutes is when they can detect it and then kind of give the warning. Well, and, and is that enough? I mean, I, I can't even get my head around my child I know. having eight minutes to escape their school being. Bombed. I know. I, 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 I absolutely can't get my head around it. But when they get this warning, I mean, where do they go? I mean, where can the children go? Is I mean, I don't yeah. understand how... So depending on the school, so what we're doing as part of the same package, it's about £1,000 per school. And what they get is an early warning system. They get the electricity and internet connectivity that they need for this to function, which also means that they get better education because they'll have access to electricity and internet. And they all get an evacuation plan that has been created for their school. So either they will have a basement or some kind of safe place that they will go to in case of an alarm, or their evacuation plan will be to actually literally leave the, leave the, leave the school. A bit like the fire drill, but like for real. <laughs> um, I, yeah. I just can't get my head around why anyone in, in, in you know, in any war. We shouldn't why, need it. We shouldn't why need you it. Would deliberately bomb a, a school of or course, a hospital. Absolutely. I know. And I mean, so and it's horrible. partly why part of the same campaign, I started a petition to Dominic Raab to say, can the British government take seriously the fact that schools are being bombed um, and act to protect children? There are actually 890 schools that are at high risk. We're through our campaign trying to support 150 of them. But the British government can, with not very much money, actually you know, install this protection in all of the schools yeah. um, and help to pretend, you know, hundreds of thousands of schools. And and our petition got 75,000 signatures, which is, you know, not to be sniffed at, but we've still not heard anything from Dominic Rabb. So... Mr. Oh, Rob, if you're listening, get it together. Let's I'm protect sure some he's Syrian a children. Listener to the guilty feminist, um, yeah, <laughs> I, I would be surprised if he wasn't. I mean, it's uh, right up the street. I think most of the Tory from oh, yeah. front bench are probably tuning in, aren't they? This is their kind of thing. <laughs> certainly guilty. I don't know if they're feminists. Um, <laughs> Talk about wa- waxing and wanking. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, it's, it's it's at a time where I think. You know, in terms of the government's uh, approach to whatever's happening in Syria, it appears to be very low priority, and, and, and the government have cut aid, haven't they? Yes. And I think that there is. What what is it? I mean, I, I really, really appreciate what you were saying before about you know um, the can do and what you can do to change things as an individual. And the great thing about the guilty feminist and what Deborah's created here is it has meant that as individuals we have felt more empowered to take action, whether it be around supporting refugees or supporting uh, people like yourself who are trying to create safe spaces for children within Syria, you know, in a war zone. What is it as as individuals listening to the guilty feminists today? What would you say to us what, about what we can do? So go to um, Save Syria Schools. Um, Org. That is our campaign page. Um, our campaign is being implemented through our brilliant um, Syrian partners, Harras. We've got 10 organizations that are supporting the campaign, including Choose Love, who I know are collaborators and, and friends of yours. They're amazing. Um, so go to the campaign page and give what you can to try and help us to get to our target of 150 schools. We're at 53 at the moment. So give everything that you can and share it, please, with other people. Um, 
The second thing is go and watch Serious Schools Under Attack. It's a brilliant documentary um, that really powerfully tells the story. Um, so if you want to get better educated about it, knowing that you can do something about it after you see it, then please watch it and also share that. And if you want any more information, then contact me, Brilla at CanDoAction.org. And, um, and uh, I, will, I will help you to can do something. Wonderful. And if we want to get involved with Save Serious Schools, can you give us the URL for that again? So that's saveseriousschools.org. On that same page is where you can um, sign the petition that's going to Dominic Crab. That's where you can support the schools protection project that we want. Um, and an important bit of it that I, I didn't mention is that for each school that we protect and support, the children get trauma recovery therapy. And back to your point, Jen, about, you know, like how do children cope with it? Um, you know, it's, it has devastating impact. And so that's why we're really committed to not just protect lives, but to heal minds, you know, I don't want children to just survive. I want them to be thriving. I want them to have the same opportunities that children everywhere have. And that is an ed a safe education with a sound mind. So, um, yeah, would really value anyone's support and everyone's support on this. And is there anything you, like if you ran the world, if you ran the rest of these countries, <laughs> what would you do to stop Assad? <sighs> um. I think that you absolutely can create a no-fly zone um, that, and that should have been done, you know, years ago um, because that would have grounded the, the Air Force that has been a huge, huge culpable, you know, culprit in, in the damage and death and devastation that we've had. Um, so that would absolutely have, have, um, have made a big difference. Um, and look, I mean, I'm a fan of diplomacy and, and the fact that, you know, with an arm twist, we all know that if the powers that be, and that is the UK, the US, Israel, if they really wanted Assad gone, he'd, he'd be, be gone. gone. Yeah. We know that. Like we've we've seen Gaddafi, we've seen Saddam Hussein, we've seen so many of them go before, right? Like so, I'm under no illusion that there is a way. It's just that there hasn't been the will um, for that to happen. So, I think that the Syrian civil society of silver lining of this is that the, the Syrian civil society has flourished and has grown. And so this fake dichotomy that has often been talked about in the news, well, it's ISIS or Assad. That's BS. You know, there are doctors, lawyers, teachers, you know, human rights activists, journalists, etc. There is the huge majority of us who are there with the morals, ethics and the ability to, to create a better Syria, which I absolutely still are, I'm hopeful of. Um, that's the reason that I get up every day is to support, you know, the local doctors, the Syrian doctors, nurses and aid workers who are still there 10 years on risking their lives to save others. Um, you know, they give me so much hope. They inspire me every single day. And so, um, yeah, I think that's that's what we need to be doing is, is supporting the civil society and, um, and and granting the Air Force. How can we support the civil society? Is there any direct way that you can make sure your donations get there? So, I mean, that's absolutely why I founded the Can Do platform, because there wasn't a way before to easily find this trustworthy and impactful local organization. And so what we do at Can Do is we, we find them, we do the vetting in there. Um, 
so that everyone who is a partner of Can Do's has absolutely gone through a, a rigorous system that's been assessed by the Charity Commission and, and, and given a, a double thumbs up. Um, and so you know that these partners are doing remarkable work on the ground. Um, and you know that the thing of working through Syrians themselves and in the future, I hope we'll be able to support other war affected communities is that they're able you're through that able to reach the absolutely most marginalized you know 20% of the people who we've reached through our work were people who were besieged you know besieged in 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 Ruta, Damascus about a few years ago when that was the case and we wouldn't have been they were beyond the reach of the UN and other international organizations and we were only able to get them the some of the support they needed was because you were working directly with locals um so the can do platform is one such example of how you can do that but there are some other brilliant Syrian organizations um um to you know to support their work directly um such as you know hand in hand for syria riras and nahda there's so, there's so many of them but if you go onto the canduaction.org platform you'll be able to see several of them there that you can support directly great and you've crowdfunded a hospital the world's first crowdfunded hospital and you've helped build yes. seven hospitals in syria so you really are on the ground doing the work that's needed so if you're feeling frustrated, devastated, paralyzed about uh, Syria at home, and you just think, God, if that was my child going to school, I just don't know how I would let them out of my arms. And, you know, given, you know, we've all had a bit of a wake up call with COVID of, oh, things can happen to us, you know, uh, things can be disrupted. And then you imagine that plus bombs and the genuine, you know, uh, bloodshed around you, children being bombed hospitals being bombed you know if you're feeling devastated by that go onto the can do platform because you chipping in a tiny bit if everyone listening to the guilty feminist chips in a tiny bit it will make a difference sometimes it's easy to feel like the drop in the ocean but remember many drops can make a wave and that wave has great power and it's lots of waves that make up an ocean so um get involved and if you can't if you can't afford it you've been furloughed or whatever share 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 with other people you probably know other people that didn't get to have a holiday last year have got a bit more expendable income because they just had to sit in their house and they may you know someone you know may give five grand or you know something like that if not share online you don't know who's going to see that who's going to share it and where that might end up so whatever you do Take yeah. some kind of action today. If every single person took some kind of action from a donation to a share to a telling someone else, asking someone you know who's got some money to donate, asking an organization or a corporation you know to donate, we really can save actual lives and help traumatize children and help. You will save lives. If you get involved in this, Absolutely. you will save children's lives. There'll be some child who, when they're grown up, will write a book called Eight Minutes about the eight-minute warning they got, and that's how they're still alive today, and then they've gone on to do something remarkable. I mean, we'd love to do more with you. Um, Yes, let's. We'd absolutely love to do more with you. um, you I'd love that too. uh, And in the meantime, how are you going with the NHS and COVID? Actually, I have been working full-time on can-do and actually doing more of the humanitarian and medical response in Syria because, as you can imagine, we already had 12 million people who needed access to healthcare and then COVID came and hit. Um, and needless to say, one, you know, since over 50% of our hospitals are not functioning, you can imagine the devastation that something like COVID has had on top of the... <laughs> 
the shit show that we had. So we did not need that. So my COVID response and um, has been much more focused on um, on Syria than the wonderful NHS. Um, although one of my passions and one of the next things I really want to do is um, is support the mental health and well-being of frontline health workers. Um, having been through burnout and trauma myself and having seen what so many of my colleagues are going through at the moment, whether they're risking their lives because the bombs are falling on them or whether they're risking their lives because COVID is, um, is, is, is a threat to them. I think there is so much more that we need to do to look after the lifesavers. So I look forward to telling you a little bit more about that in, in due time. Um, Please come back. Please come back and do a live show with us in a theatre. Um, I would love tell that. Tell us more. Maybe we could do a fundraiser for Can Do. Um, I bloody love that. Yeah, yeah, deal. Come, yeah, come and we'll do a fundraiser for Can Do and you come along and you know, bring some more Can Do guests, bring some more Syrian guests. Um, we'll get a bunch of really great comics on. I would the, love that. Get the bums very much on the seats. Um, Jen, mm. would you come and join us for that? 100%. I'm there. You, you say you're not a can-do person. Utter, utter, See, utter, you're very can-do. I hey, knew you were just Listen, I'm just piggybacking on the can-do, isn't it? Really? <laughs> You've caught the can-do. I told you you would catch the can-do and you would caught oh, the can-do. Honestly, I knew come it was going to happen. Come on, Rona. <laughs> and also, once you've got it, you can't get rid of it. It's just it stays. <laughs> It keeps With reoccurring. Life. You find it in the top lip, you're like, oh, it's back again. Can do herpes. Nice. Can do herpes. <laughs> um, I, I mean, we love a gear shift here at the Guilty Feminist. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, uh, <laughs> Rona, is there anything you came to say today that you didn't get to say? Look, I just want to say that I know it has been such an overwhelming time for so many of us. And look, I've been dealing with a war zone for 10 years, so I know what overwhelm feels like. And just a message to say, you can do this. You can cope. You can expand. You can grow. You can deal with it. So, you know, have faith in you. Believe in yourself. There's plenty that you can do to deal with it for yourself and for those around you. So, um, yeah, feel big, be big. You can do this. Well, I feel like you were saying that directly to me and I'm taking it on board. Okay. Yeah, that felt very, and what a compassionate response that you're thinking about the listeners who don't have to deal with the war zone. So thank you very much. That made me cry. Yeah. So I was like, wow, I can't believe you're thinking about us. And yeah. uh, that's. Uh, <laughs> well, for all those people at home who uh, had to suffer through a delivery on Netflix, just to let you know, yeah. you can get through this. Yeah. Okay? I mean, you can survive. You get, listen, if you need to do another series of Tiger King, you'll get through it. You'll get through it. If the banana bread comes back. With some kind of fourth or fifth wave, don't worry. Yeah, exactly, this. you're gonna um, shed the you're gonna shed the pounds. It's gonna be fine. That's true. Um, it has been an absolute delight. Could we have a huge, huge round of applause for Dr. Rola Hurlem? <laughs> Yay! Thank you, thank you so much. An um, honor and a privilege. Until oh my God. soon. It's incredible, Jen Brister. Right. Okay. Well, here we go. Flipping it. Just a bit of inspiration for people. Um, look, I don't know how your lockdown has been. I hope you're all okay. Uh, but I don't think lockdown hasn't been easy, has it? I mean, we're doing everything on Zoom for a start. I don't know. I can't get to grips with Zoom. I mean, I don't know about the rest of you, but I didn't even know about Zoom before. Uh, you know, this whole pandemic started. Did you? I'd never heard of it. And now we've all 
doing Zoom, aren't we? We sort of, in fact, I think I, I adopted it very early on. I mean, at the beginning of lockdown, people would ask me what I was doing at the weekend. They'd be like, "Oh, I'm having a little cheeky drink on Zoom." <laughs> Actually, do you know what I'm doing? I'm uh, meeting some friends on Zoom. Do you know what? The weekend, I'm a. Uh, I'm actually doing a quiz. I don't know if you've done one of those. I'm doing a little quiz. Six weeks in, I was like, just Zoom can fuck off now. Um, I mean, the, the biggest problem I have with Zoom is my face. I, I, I don't know about the rest of you, but I don't ever remember, right? I don't ever remember being in a conversation with a friend and thinking, do you know what I really, I'd love to know what my face is doing right now. Because I've, I've only got four expressions, which is angry, bored, Really angry and really fucking bored. That's all I've got. I've got I, I don't actually have anything to offer. And I'm sorry. And I'm sorry, but stand-up comedy... Look, this is an effect as close as we're going to get to a gig, isn't it? Right right now, on The Guilty Feminist is on Zoom. But we can all agree, is this stand-up? I mean, is this even comedy? I don't know that it is. I mean, 18 months ago, if anyone had said to you, hey, listen, mate, do you fancy watching a middle-aged beige lesbian having a breakdown in front of a laptop? You'd have said, No. I think I'll swerve that. But I'll be honest with you, people are paying a fiver for it now and it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> uh, look, I know we were supposed to be very positive and can do about this uh, whole lockdown, weren't we, at the beginning? People were being, like, people like Gwyneth Paltrow were wanging on about making sourdough and learning a new language. Well, not me, okay? Not me. I, I just pulled out my tracksuit bottoms and grew out my beard. I gave up mm. very early. Yeah, I, I've, what I've learned from this pandemic, I'll tell you what I've learned. I am, I'm just not good in a crisis. I mean, if you can call staying at home, getting a takeaway and watching back-to-back episodes of Tiger King a crisis. I mean, hmm. the, the fact of the matter is I wouldn't know what a real crisis was if it stood up, walked towards me and punched me in the tits. But in March 2020, I, I just I couldn't find the positive. I, I basically went into free fall. Um, now, I know there were people meditating, okay, and doing yoga, you know, everyone was doing Adrienne, weren't they? Well, obviously not doing Adrienne. That's that sounds horrific. Mm-hmm. How many people came up to you and oh, have you? Have, are you doing Adrienne? Wonderful. She's a wonderful yoga teacher. Have you heard of her? She's so good, and she's got a dog. Not me. I just wandered around my house in the same tracksuit bottoms, trying to avoid my children, and I did that for eighteen months. Look, I love them. I'm talking about my tracksuit bottoms now, not my children. <laughs> uh, I just these tracksuit bottoms. <sighs> You know, when people say, how are you going to find your way back? How are you going to integrate back into society? Okay. I'll tell you how I've, the biggest problem for me is how am I going to go out into the real world without my tracky bottoms? Because I love them so much. You know, they are elastic around the waist. Obvs, of course they are. But they are also got a little bit of cheeky elastic around the ankles. Because I tell you what, things did get bleak for me quite early on in lockdown. And I thought, if I shit myself, at least it will catch it. Do you know what I mean? Look, anyway. I realise we're all very lucky. I don't live in a war zone. None of us do. We've got enough money to get by and my children are safe. And as any parent will tell you, if the kids are okay, you're okay. Now, that's not to say I was able to maintain being the best parent of all time because if you're with your children all day, every day, no matter how much patience you start with in any given day, let me tell you, you can't maintain it. And certainly at the beginning of lockdown, my partner and I obviously were very worried about our children's mental health. That's quite normal. And, you know, certainly we may have overcompensated at the beginning. We'd find ourselves saying things like, oh, darling, did you just say your biscuit is broken? Oh, my gosh, you poor thing. Don't you worry. Mama will put those biscuits back together for you because Mama loves you very much. Look how Mama's going to put that. I tell you what, six weeks in and you find yourself shouting, I don't care if your biscuit's broken, mate. Just just get back to me when you trap your foreskin in your zip. You, I, I just, I'm just saying you can't maintain this stuff 
and and it was and it was hard, right? Because obviously I had a job, didn't I? I had a job as a stand-up comedian, and then um, everything shut down March twenty twenty, and all of a sudden I didn't have a job. And I'm not going to lie to you, all of my self-esteem is attached to what I do. So when you take that away from me, I, I, I haven't got anything. So there I was, a stand-up comedian, and all of a sudden that I went from being a stand-up comedian to being a primary school teacher and in a matter of days. Now, I think any of us with children can now really appreciate what teachers have been doing for years. And I'm not proud of this, but I can honestly say I, I, over the years, I perhaps have been a little bit reductive about what... Uh, you know, about what teachers do. I, I'll admit, as a, an MC of a, in comedy, you know, one of your jobs as an MC is perhaps to go around and ask people what they do. You know, what, what, what's your name and what, what do you do? Oh, oh, Jean, is it? What do you do? Oh, you're, you're a teacher. What, what do you teach, Jean? Oh, primary. Primary school. Primary school? Oh, what's that? It's not even teaching, is it? Oh, I've just got a couple of crayons and I'm just sticking them. Oh, look, the sun is yellow and the sky is blue. I mean, is that really teach? Honestly, I think these people are wizards now. I don't know how they get 30 children to to stop talking. I can't even get my own children. Uh, anyway, homeschool for me has been a nightmare. I've got all the authority of Matt Hancock at a stage meeting. They just they just don't, res- they don't respect me. Uh, and it's not like what I'm teaching them is even hard. I'm teaching them things like, you know, basic maths. They're six. They're in year one. It's not difficult stuff. It's, you know, like I've got to, but you can't get them to concentrate. I just be like, could you just sit down for five minutes? Because mum is trying to teach you. Okay, listen to me. No, get, get, get off the chair, right? Sit down and listen to mum. No, don't keep touching your winky, right? Just sit down, right? And listen. no, your brother doesn't want to sniff your fingers. Just listen to me, right? Rosa's got five beans. Terry's given her two beans. How many beans? Yeah. How many? How many beans? <laughs> Listen to me. No. I'm, why? Why are you putting your finger up your bum? Listen to me. How many beans? If because Rosa's got f- had five. Now she's got an extra two. How many beans does Rosa? How many beans does Rosa have? And <laughs> um. um uh, is it, is it, Mama? Is it, is it like, is it, is it 11? What is 11? 11 isn't even a number. Where did you get 11? And even if it was 11, I've only got 10 fingers. Where did you get 11? Is it a poo poo plus a wee wee equals a, a bum bum? What are you even talking? What I'm trying to say is, right, the PGC is not happening for me. And my point is this no. I think it's time. Teachers got a pay rise, right? It's time to, possibly that I gained a bit of bloody perspective. And maybe. Just maybe it's time for me to get rid of my tracksuit bottoms. Okay, mm. fine. I'm going to keep those. No, I'm keeping, I'm keeping those. Thank you. <laughs> Woo! Jan Brister, everyone. You have been listening to The Guilty Founders with me, Emma Francis White, guest co-host Jen Brister, and our very special guest, Dr. Rola Holem. The Guilty Founders theme tune was composed by Mark Hodge, produced by Nick Sheldon, the producer was Tom Sinitsky from the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Rachel Croft and Judy DC and everyone who made this episode happen, as well as all of you for listening. More information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. your bit your sort of stand-up-y bit after Rola's gone Rolla have I said this Rolla. right Rolla perfect yeah. Yeah, that, that's um, absolutely so fine that she's not uh, having she's not... to be subjected to that of course I understand oh I, I was mean... quite fancying a giggle 
Oh, you could. Oh, you're very welcome to. I've just found with guests in the past, they've been sitting there going, like, when is my bit? Which is when it's oh, in a theatre, it's different <laughs> because they're in the audience. They have a great time. Or mm. they're in the green room and they're getting hospitality. But when you're just sitting on a mm. Zoom, you're yeah. like, why am I here? Why did you not book me for my bit? I, 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 I totally agree with you, Deborah. I think... Uh...